netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from FXGuide.com. This podcast is brought to you by The Ambassadors, representing unique approach to VFX. Combining designers, filmmakers, and artists, The Ambassadors strive to create challenging new work, pushing themselves and the boundaries of imagination as far as possible. Check them out at www.theambassadors.nl for more information. Thanks for joining us for this FX podcast, where we take our passion for visual effects and bring you in-depth interviews with visual effects artists around the world. The FX podcast was started to give us a place to dig deep on the technical side, talk one-on-one with top visual effects artists, advance the craft of visual effects, and pay respect to the hardworking, creative people producing amazing work. Today, we're going to take the mission of this podcast to heart with an interview with colorist Aidan Farrell. This is part three of a series we've been doing featuring the world's greatest colorists, having previously featured Peter Doyle and Stephen Scott. Before we get to that, I wanted to quickly highlight a special limited-time offer over on our sister site, FXPHD. On a recent trip, John Montgomery chatted with some artists at FMX and in London, and many said they're often too busy in their day job to take the full slate of three courses offered over at FXPHD. Maybe there's only two courses they wanted to really focus on, so we're giving this a try. A special reduced price, $199, which includes two courses plus background fundamentals and access to the forums and VPN software. That's $160 savings off our normal membership, but of course is one less course. But like I said, people have been asking for this kind of thing, and we thought we'd give it a try. Also, thanks to our friends over at SohoNet, anyone who's a member of the April 2012 term will be entered into a drawing with a chance to win one of two full conference passes to SIGGRAPH 2012 in Los Angeles. This is the full pass. It gets you into everything, not the exhibits pass. It's worth over $1,000. So head on over to fxphd.com and check out this special offer if that appeals to you, or check out the normal membership, as always, as many of you do, I know. Okay, let's get to the business's hand. Colorist Aidan Farrell recently won a BAFTA Special Award, recognizing his outstanding creative contribution to the industry and his extensive work and accomplishments in this field. If you have a chance, go over to the BAFTA site and check out his showreel and interview that played during the awards. It's a really nice piece showcasing work from music videos in the 90s, documentaries, and his recent work, including Downton Abbey, all of which we'll discuss with him. And now, here's Mike Seymour speaking with Aidan Farrell. Technically, I wasn't really interested in the sort of in the you know how you achieve something is just or, or as in the you know basically at that time a lot of the colorists a lot of the were engineer type sort of um had come from an engineering background or sort of some sort or whatever and I, w- I really wasn't interested in that sort of thing i just wanted to i just wanted to make pictures and, and do you know i in my head i knew what i wanted something to look like so it was i was never really bothered that much with um, the changing technology in a way, although I had to keep abreast of it, but I wasn't sort of, that was, you know, from what my aspect was sort of constantly changing um, my style or constantly, you know, coming up with something uh, from a look point of view rather than coming up with a new piece of hardware or software, you know. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that. you said that and because we, we are keen to talk to you about that. But let me start by just sort of publicly acknowledging that you were uh, singled out uh, for recognition uh, for the great work that you've done. And uh, you know, deservedly so, uh, which was a special award that was given uh, last month, wasn't it? In uh, by the British uh, two Academy. Two weeks ago, yeah, two, the thirteenth of May. Of May, yeah. Right, and uh, and this was uh, a BAFTA that really recognised an outstanding creative contribution 
across a number of fields? Because I think one of the characteristics of your work is that you don't get pigeonholed to just one thing. You don't just do, say, uh, feature films 24-7. You, you do a variety of different things, don't you? Exactly, yeah. I mean, I... Um, <coughs> I it's of my... Um, I'm sort of, you know, in, in, if you're to single out why I'm sort of, you know, especially in Britain anyway, or in, Europe, in many parts of Europe, why I'll be, and I'm not sure what's like in, in Australia or New Zealand or over that side, but I know for sure that in, in, in this side of the continent, it's, um, you know, basically, colorists, one, came in from a different, as I said a moment ago, they came, I came from a very unusual background. I sort of, you know, I'd grown up with cameras, I sort of could have gone down the, DP route, you know what I mean, that was sort of a big love of mine, but I sort of just had a great love of photography, great love of cameras, studied art, went into animation, um, and ended up being a colorist, so I'd sort of done all that, my training had been sort of from the, the art side and from the, the photographic side, um, I always felt very comfortable, even in, you know, all through the years, I felt very comfortable, you know, speaking in photographic language or, you know, talking to cinematographers or directors. In a, in a photographic way, never sort of from a lot of it. I'm not saying all colors, but a lot of colors sort of came from, you know, VT ops, um, you know, working as, as edit assistants or v, VT v, videotape assistants in, 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 and then sort of, or, or engineering backgrounds, and then came from a technical side generally. And so I found it quite easy from the point of view that I, in my head, I'd always known what. I wanted to do with an image or with a, a, a music promo or a commercial or whatever it was, you know. So I, I actually, you know, part of, part of you know, the hard thing for me was um, constantly being, you know, coming up with new looks all the time. And, and, and you know, so, so thankfully I, I came, from, because I came from a different background, I didn't know any other, I didn't know any different, <laughs> you know. So I just did what was quite natural to me to, to you know, from, from the, my years of working it from the photographic end. Um, the other thing was that I, I sort of was always sort of different in, in that most colors in town or in here again they generally when you say pigeonhole they're generally just do you know this is these are the commercial guys these are the drama guys these are the guys who do sort of observational documentary type sort of thing you know and they sort of you know and i sort of sort of did it all you know in commercials you know do you think that's because, because do you think that's because you're one of the founders of the farm which is for those that don't know obviously an incredibly successful soho facility yeah. but um, I don't know. I could, I was, no, before that, I mean, before we set up the farm, you know, I, I was at um, Windmill Lane in Dublin, and, and I was in, in London. I was at Molinaire, and and I had the same approach. I mean, one of the main reasons is because I started doing. Um, I was very fortunate to be. Um, be, I was doing. I'd have to say I was doing you know a lot of dramas during the day, but but essentially I was and commercials during the day. But essentially I was doing. I started doing music videos, and as soon as I sort of, because of the nature of, as I, as I said, of my background, I sort of the music video industry seemed to love me, or you know, really like what I was doing, because it was sort of an op- it was an open opportunity back then. This was in the late '80s, early '90s, whatever, to um, to experiment. You know, especially from a Telecine point of view, it was seen sometimes originally as um, an unnecessary evil in a way from the drama side. You know what I mean? Where where I was a sort of, I you know, I had this, I had this, you know. Telecine machine, and I had these grading tools, and although they seem quite archaic now compared to what we have, or you know, what we have now, um, it was I thought this was an amazing opportunity to, to you know, because I'd grown up basically playing in band. I mean, I'm a 
very into my music and I still play in the band now. So music is a big and terrible part of my life. And obviously photogra- photography is a big part of my life. So to sort of work on music videos where I'm sort of working with these bands and directors on music videos, you know, it was an amazing um, opportunity for me. On top of that, in the early 90s, the Britpop um, phenomenon happened, you know, with the, the Blur, Oasis, Suede, all those yep. bands, Garbage, all those... Um, and also, you know, what was happening in the state on the on the state side, you know, with, um, with Nirvana and all those um, with Chili Peppers and all that. You know, so a lot of American directors were coming over and working. You know, Sam Bear from the states was doing a lot of work with him, and he was doing a lot of videos for, say, uh, he was doing a lot of commercials that he was shooting in Europe. So he'd be grading with me, and and a lot. And then I also had a lot of like people like Gondre was based in London at, the, at that time as well, where he was working a lot in London. So you had a lot of really great music promo directors. Oh, yeah. You know, I working, mean, that stuff that you know, Gondry was doing and, and those other directors around that time really yeah. was so breathtakingly fresh because it didn't seem constrained. It didn't seem to be needed yeah. to fall into line with anything. Yeah. And so, and so a lot of the colours were... Um, and again, this is not... I'm, I'll, I'll, I've always you know, you know, spoke about and you know, documented how I do it, and I'm not... You know how other people do it; it's their business, and it's and, sure. you know. But how I do it was, you know, I could not sit in a room when I saw, you know, with sort of, you know, in dramas, for example, where you had directors going a little bit brighter, a little bit darker, a little bit brighter. You know, it was I couldn't bear someone telling <laughs> me what to do. You know, and I'm 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 quite an opinionated character anyway, so I just sort of thought, well, hang on, that's fine. I'll always listen. You know, part of my job is you know be a really good listener. But I'm not going to sit there if I know in my heart that I can make something a hundred times better or you know, at least I have to, it's in my, it's part of my sort of um, programming to have to, you know, at least, at least offer it up. And so what happened was I'd offer all these things up. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd do what, say, at least in the early days, I'd do what was asked. And then I'd say, well, how about this then? You know, how about this then? And, uh, and generally what happened was if, in a room full of, you know, directors, directors, producers, editors, cinematographers, the band, whatever like that, generally somebody would go, oh, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good, and we try it, you know. So essentially, it, that snowballed, you know. As soon as I did one, then I did ten, and then I was doing a hundred, and, you know, and then I ended up, you know, over my career so far, doing over two and a half thousand of them, you know. So <laughs> it's been... Um, but I did approach it in a very, as I say, in a very different way. I, I, I saw, you know, my big thing was the, that I had the big, you know, in the edit room, in the grading room, we had that, all the, you know, that technology there. But then my big love... Um, which I'll discuss in the, in later on if you want to talk about HD, was, you know, you know having this, um, the telecine machine, which, as far as I was concerned, it was like having a second camera. There was a, excuse me, there was a lens yep. there, you know, there was a light source, there was a mirror, and it was like a second opportunity to, to re-photograph that film. So I really embraced that whole um, sort of organic quality that, you know, in order to get the film from this room scanned into that room for me to work on, I think, well, I can use both rooms. So generally, I was, you know, I, I started out putting, you know, I'd, get, I'd got all the camera filters that would be used in, in traditional cameras, um, like ProMist, so white ProMist, black ProMist, and soft effects filters. And, and they were all properly cut, you know, and shaped so that they would fit into my gate. And then I sort of said, well, hang on, I can use stockings and lady stockings to, to give, you know, my big thing was beauty then. So, you know, a lot of the, the bands back then were sort of, you know, generally, you know, you were as a DP or as a grader, you were, 
you were sort of it's a bit like an airline pilot you're you're sort of judged on how good you were by how you know fast you can do the job <laughs> how can you fly from sydney to london <laughs> the next month you know say or you know so how fast you could do it and how good the artist looked so i was very big into beauty so uh, you know that whole era of blooming faces and sort of you know getting you know making um the artist or the subject look as perfect as possible was you know you know was down to not digital effects that we have now but all organic filters but i must say know, that because like, I, I i you know i worked uh, for a time at Sintel, you know on yeah, uh, yeah. telecines and stuff so I, I really knew that and i worked in london and and you were actually going against the grain there a bit because there was a trend to go the other way, which was to say, let's do a one light to get it off the film as quick, or a best light, yeah, get yeah, it off yeah, the yeah. film as much as we can, and only then I can start attacking it with my vectors and my secondaries and my stuff. Yeah, because yeah, the yeah. thought of actually trying to get much out of the primaries, it wasn't even a thought. It was like, I want to yeah. transfer the film and then get it into the desk and then yeah, I can no, start completely, playing. I completely wanted to have, because... Every effect, I, you know, so I mean, every effect that I did, I wanted it from the origin, you know. So, for example, so as I said, I used, you know, all those filters, like the, the soft effects and the promise and the black promise, the white promise, and then there was the lady stockings. And then I was thinking, hang on, I can put um, sweet wrappers in there and like, you know, like yellow sweet wrappers or purple sleep, you know. So, so that was flying in the gate. Next thing I realized, I could, I could sort of take a clear piece of glass and then start drawing, because I came from, you know, because I can draw, I can start drawing Vaseline shapes and things onto this clear glass, putting that in front of the lens, and all of a sudden this sort of, I wouldn't say alchemy, but sort of this, you know, these images that came in sort of sometimes quite flat was, were just like, boom, transformed into something completely different, because <laughs> now what you had was, you know, everyone could grade, everyone had sort of a Sintel machine generally in London, anyway, and everyone had sort of maybe a Pandora, a Pogel, you know, at the time, yep. or a Da Vinci, but what I had was a, literally a box of tricks that I was sort of because no, no matter how, you know, so you can always work out how someone, that someone does something, you know, from a t you know, if you've got the same piece of kit or, yeah. or, you know, within two or three different brands going, you know, whether it's Da Vinci Pogo or whatever, but no one, no one would know that I'd, use, I'd gone to some, you know, Portobello market in London, bought this, you know, had a collectible, had a collection of rippled glass and shower glass and, and frosted glass that I would be experimenting with and I'd be chucking this in front. I mean, all the engineers from Sintel at the time in London, they'd be going, oh, God, what's he doing now? What's he doing? What's he doing? <laughs> and um, I'd be putting, I mean, God, I used to work with a lot with Kevin Godley, and I did, I had this great effect where he got me to, um, uh, he was, uh, you know, he was, we were doing a YouTube video for, I think it was called, a song called Stuck in the Moment. And, and um, oh, great. he wanted this that. sort of, he, he wanted this sort of, um, sort of heavenly um, aura going yep. through, you know, and, and again, so again, he got me to, I mean, like, I showed him this, he had um. Well, what happened was he he was eating a Kit Kat, <laughs> and um, and I I saw the silver foil and I start going in and shimmering the foil right in front of the lens. So not just you know literally. So because it's a reflective surface, it was reflecting off the light of the telecine and going back in through the you know through the, the scans. And and what you get is this amazing. Depending on how fast you shimmer it, because literally it's like shim, you know be like sort of like like literally putting it in front of the gate really fast, and you get this amazing ethereal white light coming through and um and that's how that came about and and then i used that quite a lot and then there was vaseline the stockings there was the, the you know you name it i was you know uh, you know for example i remember working with john hillcoat on a on a on a prom on a, a, a he's a I think John Hillcott's an Australian director, isn't he? Is he? Is he? I think he's maybe. He used to work with Nick Cave quite a lot, anyway. Right. Yeah. And um, and he used to do a lot of um, of Cave's videos, and and um, 
but John wouldn't didn't you know didn't like the idea of any sort of post effects like myself. And not that I don't like it, but I was sort of I always I was always sort of like, hang on, I can do that, I can do that. If someone said to me, can you sort of give this effect that someone's blah blah blah? I go, yeah, I'll try that. And so things. So I mean, there's one job where we, we he wanted to sort of have that sort of scratched, dirty, filthy look on the film. So again, instead of you know doing it in post, you know digitally on afterwards. You know, this was, you'd have to, and also you have to remember is, on these music videos, they would shoot for two days or sometimes a day, one big long day, but generally, was, you know, it was quite a lot of money around back then, and they'd be shooting for two, three days, up to 50 rolls of 35 mil or 30 or 40 rolls of 16 mil, whatever. and they, they would basically, instead of, you wouldn't do a one light in an edit, you'd come straight in from the group, you'd basically shoot for those days, come straight into the grade, after, you know, the day after, and we'd tell us in the end grade everything, and that was the way it was, and then he'd do the edit afterwards, you know. And um, so, th- so I, like, to basically, there was no backup neg. There was no copy of our safety copy. And John would get me to, and many directors, not just John, we'd be sort of, he'd get me to sort of, I want, literally take a blade out. And as the film's going through, we'd be scratching to get that scratch effect, literally pulling a blade as the film's going through the gate. And, you know, John would be, he want, then he wanted sort of this, where the film jumps in the gate sort of thing. And again, rather than do it digitally afterwards, we'd literally be pulling the gate inside out and, Jumping the film and pulling, you know, literally taking it off the sprockets as it's been, as it's, we're doing a live telecine. So it was all very sort of. Basically, what I'm saying is, the whole process for me was like, it was, it was an amazing sort of live, you know. So what I, I'd had on any given job that I would do. I mean, the, the other big difference between me and the other colorists was that everyone worked mute in London. No, every, there was no sound, you know. And I think, well, sound, whether it's a music video or a drama or whatever it is or commercial, sound is a huge integral part of the process that gives you you know it gives you an, an emotion and, a, and a, a sort of feeling for what you're doing and and you know because obviously you don't if something is a, a very bright sounding video or whatever you don't want to start putting a big desaturated you know what i mean or unless you're yeah. being really ironic you know so 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 on any given day you know when the if anyone walked into this my suite there would be it was like organized chaos because i obviously couldn't do everything and we'd be doing so i sometimes i'd be I set up all the effects and what we wanted to do, and I'd be and so the film would be going through, and we'd be going live to tape, so the, the, you know down in CTA. So I'd be on the balls grading live. I'd have one of my assistants sort of shoving a promist in. Somebody else, generally a member of a band, it could be someone like Bono or sort of Mick Jagger or something. You know, but not necessarily them, but shoving this tinfoil in and out. It could be someone else putting a... And the music would be blasting, and everyone would have a job, and I'd be sort of like this conductor orchestrating the whole lot. You know, more film. I'd be screaming in more, because it'd be so loud in the room, and, and I'm mostly screaming into the machine room where the telecine machine was. I'd be sort of screaming, more, there's more, more filter, more kick more, more lady stockings. So it was, to be honest, it was hilarious, but an amazingly creative... Okay, so you know, how did you get I, you know. how did you get from that to some of the documentaries you did, including one of my all time well, favourites, well, which was like This Is Modern Art, which was so clean, so crisp, so yeah. so um, wonderfully well resolved. Um, well, the, the, a lot, what happened was a lot of the. Um, The, 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 a lot so of the it sounds like I've deflated you, but I mean, I really love some of the work that you did in documentaries. Yeah, yeah no, a, a lot. I mean, that, the documentaries were a big, major part of my uh, of my success in a way. You know, a major part. And what happened was that the um, a lot of the I was so fortunate to be 
you know, all those things I'm talking about there, and it sounds fun and all that, and, you know, and, and I hadn't even spoke about sort of things like bleaching the film. I used to literally, I'd get, I mean, I did it a few times, and I got my clothes got ruined, so I ended up getting my assistant <laughs> to do it, which is sort of, so we, where we'd sort of, and again, you have to understand, this was virgin egg. This was like, with no backup or copy. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I was either a very naive young man, or I was 100% confident that this was going to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, I'm, you know, again, I would sort of, after it's been filmed, I'd get the neg, run a load of bleach through it, then run a cloth through it so you get to sort of, you know, it's not consistent. Then you get it cleaned, and then, um, and back then, as you know, if you come from Sintel, the machine room in the tele you know, we'd have a wide, big winding bench, we'd have a big yep. film cleaner, which was full of trichloroethylene, which is like highly toxic. You'd have the telecine machine, you'd have the wet gate, you'd have the, oh, it was, a, it was a, compared to what we have now, it was just a massive, you know, chemical nightmare, you know, <laughs> waiting to explode. And um, so uh, you know, the bleaching thing was, you, you, you put that up on the telecine and you get this amazing, because what the bleach does, it strips off the protective orange layer on, on, the, on, the, on the negative. And, and where it hasn't stripped it off and where it has, the difference gives this amazing animated effect, you know. And um, so all those effects, anyway, I was very, very fortunate because I was, at that time when I, when I came to London, you know, a lot of the dramas where, you know, there was, I wouldn't say older directors and older cinematographers and older producers, but generally they were. So what you had was this new wave promo people who were sort of, at the time, seen as mad, crazy dudes, you know what I mean? But I was very lucky and very fortunate that, you know, I was working with these great young cinematographers and great young directors and myself, and we were all very, very like-minded. And on top of that, the whole, as I said, the Britpop thing, the music scene in Britain was huge, you know, and it was really taken. It was right at the beginning of you know take of of of, um, of escalating into you know what 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 was a massive huge success from a, from a British point of view. Yeah. And um, so a lot of the directors that in those promo in the early promos they started working in docks, and so they were used to you know and, and traditionally as you know documentaries were they you know there to tell a story and not to sort of make it look any you know anything sort of visually interesting and i wouldn't say all the time but generally that was the look all you got to do is look at any repeat repeats on of drama or docs from the 80s or 90s even and you can see you know what that i can justify my comments there you know so a lot of these what happened to me was a lot of these younger directors were started working and say in, in promise or and then in documentaries and again as opposed to doing the tr- traditional way of you know doing your you know shooting editing it all getting a print made or whatever and then you spend a few hours or a day grading the print just making it look nice or whatever. Again, I was saying, well, no, don't do that. What you've got to do is you shoot like you shoot a music video. You, sh- if you, sh- you might do an interview and do a lot of GVs on, you know, on, sh- on your shooting day. Come back into me the next day. We'll grade it all. Not only grade it all, but we sometimes we'll do two or three, four passes on it. So basically, that 50 minutes of film, you, could, you walk in with 50 minutes of film, 55 minutes, you know, five 11-minute five, um, rolls, and you walk out with six hours of brushes. Because what I would do would be I would manipulate the image so much that you 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 know although I'm using the same footage I'm just recreating different looks and different scans and sizes on it and different Vaseline effects and filter effects and so basically you know you've multiplied and, and your, your, the quantity of your rushes has gone by up by 500 percent or 400 percent depending on you know what I mean so then that what that means is that your editor has so much more choice to work with. So essentially, on the docks, they would shoot for a day or two, come into me, shoot. They'd have another set of shooting days. They come into me. You know what I mean? And then we do a final master grade. So essentially, it was a big. I was there from the beginning, you know, of the of the whole project, rather than at the end, you know. 
And so the same people who came from, evolved from the Paramounts were working in docks, and that's how they, they had grown up working with someone like myself, with those sort of, um, sort of, uh, sort of uh, high, um, high, not to say high end, but sort of high expectations of what, how something should look. And you know, and and then the editors responded to that because they were getting these amazing looking images, and 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 they would instead, you know, because I'd be, it'd be some of the images would be so abstract compared to the original footage, it was giving them a whole different take on how it should be cut, you know. So again, there was a whole new um, crew of uh, of personnel working in in docks in, in Britain as well at the time, you know. So so it's, so I you know I remember there was one guy called Anan Tucker who. Again, I grew up with. He started doing docs. I did. He did films. There was a series on BBC Two called Bookmark, which is all about writers. And uh, so he did one on Anne Rice, the, the, the vampire writer. And then his girlfriend at the time, Sharon McGuire, likewise, she worked in the same department in the BBC. We did all these, you know, omnibuses and bookmarks, and and it was it was all generally it was all um, arts-based documentaries. You know, it was all those sort of very yeah. high-end BBC arts-based documentaries, and then. These guys then went on to do the, the history of modern art, which um, now from a look point of view that was a few years later. So, in modern art being like that was just me giving it my style changing. If you know what I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a deliberate sort of because um, obviously the, the the effects I'm talking about now, you know, just the last few minutes have been were maybe very early 90s or well, you know, a lot of them I carried yeah. carried through. But the, this is this is modern art was a very sharp, as you say, very sharp. Um, and and for for an arts program as well, where you know it was very sort of avant-garde type sort of you know take on, you know because you know normally what I was trying to do in that was sort of you know people generally it's a bit like when I started because what happened my my path in documentaries came from started doing all these arts films and where you could sort of get away with doing sort of abstract things and all that and then BBC Science sort of. Um, so you know, a lot of the guys you know moved into BBC Science or, or the Science Department in there and said, "Well, hang on, how can we reach out to the, you know, and not alienate our audience? Where basically, you know, you know, cause, you know, we want we want the kids and and sort of everyone to watch and, and enjoy science films and you know what I mean. So, so one way was to make it look really cool and look look really interesting. So you know, we did so I'd, so I'd sort of done music and arts and then I did science, then we did factual. You know, so I sort of step by step took on the, I wouldn't say took on the BBC, but took on the sort of genre, not the BBC, but I mean, I took on sort of, well, hang on, what can, what can I do to make this better? What can I do to, yeah. you know what I mean? So I went through, so essentially, I sort of tried to up the stakes in every, you so, know. Um, so let me just clarify of, for some people that may not be as clear with the, this is modern art, which obviously is not as well known maybe as some of your um, yeah. other stuff. It, that, this is a Channel 4 six-part series. Yeah. And yeah. while it did have some arty, uh, I'm going to say very, very sort of interesting grading stuff, especially around the uh, shock horror episode, yeah, yeah. there was also a need for you to faithfully reproduce some yeah. really gorgeous art, yeah, yeah, was, like Matisse, yeah, yeah. and it, yeah, in yeah. no way would have responded to being scratched, neg, and... and yeah, yeah, no, definitely not. No, no, I don't think but, Henry would be happy with me, and but the, Matthew Collins, <laughs> either, you know. It's, it's, uh, no, and, and, and it was a very successful documentary, but my point, I think, I'm trying to draw, is there seemed to be a line there, because uh, because you weren't... You were, you were producing stuff that was very vibrant and clean, and it was also going against sort of typical stereotypes. So you were finding a nice way to be original, but the originality wasn't just grunging it up or, or going yeah, crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah, I totally agree. That was, I mean, I mean, that was a big. That, I think, I think that um, that series. I think it, they won. The guys won a BAFTA for that. I mean, that was even even in Britain, that was a major yeah. stepping stone in in that genre of film of 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 um, of, of uh, programming. You know, it was you know even to have Matthew Collins as a presenter it was Matthew Collins. I think was the, yeah. you know he was sort of a sort of bohemian type sort of the style of editing, the style of abstract camera angles and and grading. You know, and again, what we we had to do was very subtly not upset the real the real art lovers who would actually take offence to Matisse going a bit too orange yeah. or or too strong in contrast or whatever or you know what I mean and and I think that was a very but there were very there were a lot of other elements in that series you know what I mean where we could really play on you know what I mean there was, wasn't just the stills and the, the paintings there was so many there was sculptures and there were things that, and you know that we could easily um you know, visually manipulate without causing offence. You know what I mean, and sort of very subtly sneak in to give us our look that we wanted, but not upsetting. You know, I mean, I remember doing a series for the BBC a few years later, years later called The Power of Art with Simon Sharma, and that was sort of far more um, traditional in a way. I mean, it was beautiful looking as a film, as a, as a series, but compared to the, if you were to look look at those two series programs back to back. It'd be huge comparison. You know, they were so different in its look. You know I wanted, what I mean? And it, um, because I wanted to jump you forward to closer to the present day with, say, Downton Abbey, um, and I wanted to get there through modern art because I didn't want to imply that you suddenly went from just doing music videos to um, to doing period drama. But even at, at the stage of Downton Abbey, it's pretty reasonable to say that you didn't sort of stay within the bounds of conventional uh, conventional high end. Um, costume drama because yeah. Downton Abbey, especially even the first shot of series two, which was such a classic candidate for washed out sepia tone war footage, was an incredibly vibrant image. I mean, I just couldn't get over when I first saw the first part of series two, just how clean and crisp and impactful that image was, as opposed to yeah. our traditional kind of muddied up uh, sepia. Yeah, I know exactly. Well, I mean, it's. I've had said, I've said it before. I mean, my big um, I have this huge hatred for um, not now because it's things of you know. Hopefully, I've in some way helped um, sort of I wouldn't say pave the way over this side of you know. But but I think you know because I was sort of the, the, you know thing, I, I I'll be quite open and say a lot of the things that I have done. Although I've put my neck on the line over the years. But I think I've paved the way for many colorists on this side of the Atlantic. Anyway, you know they've definitely, you know, because I've Absolutely. I've taken the chances and 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 I've sort of and in a way I've raised the stakes. And basically, you know, producers want, you know, they want and the and the viewers want these. You know, they've high expectations of of how we should be um, treating these images. But you know, I'd I'd like to say that you know if I, if you were to say to me everything was easy, it wasn't because you know for every every time I offered up something and I did something, you'd probably find that. 20% of the time I was probably there in the weekend redoing it because someone said, no, we love it, but it's not for our audience. You know what I mean? That sort of scenario, you know what I mean? Because I'd just gone too far. But my my my, my approach to it was, if I didn't try it, then I'll, I'll never get, you know, I'll, I'll never be able to break you know break those boundaries. And, and as I said, I've always, you know, went from you know, as the music videos, then into arts films, and then into science films. And then, because you know, the big science film for me was The Human Body. I'm not yep. sure if that was on in Australia. Yep. And The Planets. You know, again, and, that was... Yep. That was a massive, massive hit over here, and because yep. again, 
you know, producers used to say to me, well, God, he's grading all the footage and it's going to cost a fortune and all that, you know. But it didn't cost that much more. Well, it, you know, but basically what you get out of it is a better better everything. You get better edit, you get better images. It's, it is a huge understanding to, you know. So likewise with the drama side, you know, I've always, I mean, people, you know, that I work with generally know that if you want something, just a nice little, <laughs> if you want a sort of a, just a, something quite traditional looking i'm probably the wrong man for it in a way you know i mean of course i can do that but i'm sort of they'll always you know they've all people directors came to me for a look they you know traditionally that's what what they you know that was and that was a huge huge i wouldn't say burden but it was quite hard for me over the years especially on you know if you can imagine i'm doing a music video every day and someone saying okay come up and look and and this you know you know when people say oh a 60s reference and a 70s reference or a documentary reference you know that this was sort of when when we were doing music videos and commercials it was like fashion would something would go out of fashion within six weeks or four weeks so i was pushed and the pressure on me to recreate a new look it was, do you know what I mean? It was so, um, it was huge, you know, a huge uh, weight on my shoulders. Because as soon as something, if I did a look, it would go on there, and then somebody would do it or try to do it, and then it sort of becomes unfashionable, you know, especially because, you know, especially in the world of music videos and commercials where they want it to be unique almost, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I found then, but, but that I'm saying that, although it was a huge weight on me, on my shoulders, but I, you know, I really embraced that, and it was a great opportunity for me. But what I did find was that, all those nights and days and day and long long nights experimenting on those on, on the promos and commercials, I quite easily transposed those looks into the drama side. So for years, you know, I, I, if there was, you know, I could easily if there was sort of secret. So when when I started doing dramas, so the you know big dramas and and where people wanted to look on it, I found I had this huge array of a range of of not only tools but sort of looks in my head that I could say well that you know that might have only been on a promo that would have been you know what I mean that could have been out a year previous or six weeks previous but it's sort of because the the, the music industry can be sometimes quite fickle that it sort of it comes and goes you know what I mean it's gone then you know what I mean so I found it so so um, inviting in the drama side so <laughs> so for you know the amount of dramas that I've had amazing scripts and amazing stories that you know, things like Blackpool, I'm not sure if that was on in Australia with, with David Morrissey, yep. where it was a sort of a, it was, you know, basically it was a serious drama set in Blackpool, but then the characters would break into song and do dance routines. You know, it was, it was amazing, um, big hit for the BBC. And then, and I suppose the big, big one at the time would probably be, you know, was Wallander, when I did the first series of Wallander. Yep. Um, that's been on in Australia, has it? The, the yep, BBC yep. version? Yeah, yep. yep. And, th- and that was a huge, huge hit for, you know, for and a, vi- a visual hit if you know what I mean it's the one that people were talking about you know and then at the same time I was and this is coming back to your to the period drama thing I hate this sort of look every time you know when you, you turn on I remember one night flicking between you know channels on Sky and, and seeing there was one say, period drama on TV and then on one channel and there was another one on another and, and basically there was something four period dramas all on you know within you know and they all looked the same, and it was almost like I remember giggling, sort of saying, "You can almost cut one scene from one," as I was channel hopping, because they all looked the same. So I I felt that there was sort of a complacency sometimes that some, whether it's colorists or whatever, who cinematographers or whatever, that on, on a lot of period dramas, that they felt that because it's period, 
you just had to give this sort of brown sepia feel to it, and that was your job done, you know. So, and in fact, you know, in period, you know, depending depending on the period, but you know, in there's so many sort of huge color um, color opportunities that you could use in in especially you know in a in, in, in like for example, there's a show I did called The Devil's Whore, which is for Channel Four. It was a four-part series um, on the English Civil War, and that is probably my I'd, I'd say my probably one of the best things I my fondest memories of grading in in well, it's it, it's um, if you, if you, I mean, I'm not sure if you can see it on I get on the it's called The Devil's Whore. It was about six seven six years ago, right. but literally it was. It was, you know, I, I turned the whole the whole palette black and white, and then individually put colours back in. So what you have is a, what looks like a very colourful. But the finished product looks very very colourful. But in fact, what you've got is just a whole range of primaries going on with a black and white background. You know what I mean? So and, and it looks amazing, and I just love the look of that. And then with Downton, especially with Series Two, you know, because we were very Again, the pressure was on me to sort of make it look as good as one, but also because one was set during the you know as the Titanic went down, yep. and series two was based you know set two years later as World War One was breaking out or whatever. Although it's only a couple of years, and but there was there was sort of sort of almost um, there was a slight pressure to make it look different, especially because you know we had the opportunity because we were in on the farm or whatever you know so to. But again, that Downton uh, the, the war footage. Um, I didn't want to go down that um, that sort of traditional, you know. So what we did there was literally again. I pulled what I remember. I, I remember going for a very cross-process type sort of feel because I remember it was. I remember thinking to, back to how I when I used to bleach film and I'd pull that, you know, the layers off it. Because and you know again because this was um, that was the first year I was shot on the Alexa camera. Yep. The, the previous year was on the D21. So in the D21. Um, naturally had that noise and grain in it anyway so you know and obviously on the alexa it's very clean and it's very so i was trying to sort of grunge it up a lot but without making it look grungy and i was trying to sort of give it a cross-process feel but without making it look obviously graded you know where it's been affected too much so yeah i mean i was i was really i remember going through some sort of um there's a great american war photographer in vietnam i think it was a frank the frank Kappa, the um who's the you know, do you know? Um, I think it was. A, I'm sure it was him. I remember seeing this Vietnamese uh, uh, Vietnamese war footage, and uh, and um, although it was sort of that was obviously in the many years later than World War One, but been really sort of um, into these photographs and God, I got I, I, and, and basically I, I I used the look of Devil's Whore and these sort of Vietnamese war photographs to try and you know, and I mean, but I can't, I'm really glad you liked the look of that because I was sort of. There was the one, you know, the opening of a new series and trying to, I mean, obviously producers at the time would have been quite slightly, you know, because it's, because it's been so successful, they wanted to not, you know, they wanted to not alienate the audience all the way, you know, it, it, which sometimes can happen, you know, they're trying to play it safe, but, and sort of, because obviously because it's worldwide as well, you're trying to suit a whole lot of territories, you know what I mean, that, you know, and it's sort of, so I just love to look at that war footage, yeah, and I mean, that, Downton again was, for me, a huge success because you know I had the backing of all the producers on it, and, and essentially they'd said to me, "We want you to make something that's graded in a very modern way, but looks like it's sort of 
not graded in a very modern way. And we don't want, you know, we want something that's going to take that, you know, for a period drama that looks completely different, but in a way not to make it look like, you know, not enough that, that viewers will be aware of the look of it. You know what I mean? Aware yeah. that you're... Maybe it's because, of, it, maybe because of the terrific costumes, maybe because of the uh, the locations, but it seemed to me that you had a really, sort of, you have really strong colour palettes. And, and I mean palettes and definitely in the plural because there are there are scenes that are really predominantly green there are very vibrant blue scenes there are very strong red scenes uh, and i don't mean like washed out red i mean there's just like some really strong rich deep deep colors going on there yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, um i mean but basically i just wanted to make um for me um period drama i just wanted to sort of give the viewer another take on it, if you know what I mean, because they've been so used to looking. I mean, also, on top of the look, the look you described there, it's very, very contrasty. But yes. yet, it's got, but also we've got pings of white light, so I was constantly painting in sort of highlights, and, and, and then the other aspect was, you know, I was, you know, I, because it's all generally leading ladies, or it's, there's a lot of co-starring female yeah. actresses in it, you know, I wanted to make them look as beautiful as possible all the time. And because, you know, if you've got, from years of working in music videos, if I was doing a girl band, I knew that you'd have four or five girls in it. One could be black-skinned, one could be Asian, one could be white, whatever, and or one could have spots, one might not have. And you're sort of dealing with, you know, it's, it's, it's easy dealing with one single individual, but when you've got five of them in one frame yeah. and you're all trying to make them look as beautiful as possible. But I did, that's what I did in music videos. And it was, you know, that, that was my, I just got used to the, that was, you know, that was the way I was brought up. So having five, four or five actresses in a frame, having to look beautiful, like in Downton, again, was no big deal because I'd done my training. I'd done all that on promos, you know what I mean? And that was my ex, I expected them to, you know, look as, flawless as, as they possibly could. Do you know what I mean? Again, but without looking like they've all been touched up. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's, I think for me... And I will say the other thing that you managed to do is you managed to keep that, but also there's quite a lot of very motivational light in some of those shots, leaving out the nighttime shots at the sort of dinner table. There will often be large windows off to the side of frame and a real sense of like natural light. Um, it's not a dark and gloomy kind of uh, place down. And those windows... Uh, trying to maintain that. It seems like sometimes you let them kind of blow out. Sometimes you manage to keep the faces without uh, harsh contrast, yeah. but still feel natural, which was... I yeah, no, a lot, a lot of Downton was um, how... I, it was a real... from Again, it all goes back to music videos, and, and I, I keep banging on about that, but I remember when, you know, I used to work on the American... Um, on on the, on British music videos, it was sort of you know, you know but even though budgets were you know high or big or whatever, you know, there was still wasn't enough money and and obviously British light, you know, unless you catch it on you know twenty days a year, is not as good as you know as a, as a, as maybe Los Angeles or Miami or something like that. So I remember when I used to do these uh, videos from American directors or from um, British bands that were filmed in America. I mean, it could be grading them, and it was like you could really sense the light. Um, the difference in life, because I could make the, you know, you could, I could, I could not really understand why. That's why American music videos or commercials look so vibrant because they're sort of the light's so good, and I realised that the lighting budgets were massive, so so the lighting budgets alone were probably would be the cost of the whole production on on a UK shoot. You know what I mean? But what they used to do was it was constantly light. 
say you had a group of girls walking down the street performing in a say in a music video or in a commercial or something, they would there was so much light being put into pumped into their faces from a key side and a fill side that that obviously they could afford they were stopping down, which meant that the backgrounds you had this huge division between the foreground and the background, so that the do you know what I mean? So basically, the the backgrounds wouldn't blow out, but the, yep. the, the subject would be really beautifully lit and really brightly lit. So likewise, in Downton, I try to have the same effect. Only because I've got the the the, the great use of power. You know, the, 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 I'm fortunate to have the, the amazing power windows. It meant that I could stop everything down, so that the windows wouldn't blow out, and then quite easily just paint around every single. It was a bit, you know, a bit. Um, a labor of love, but sort of paint around all the faces on each character and then blow and bloom them. So that's where you get that effect where basically it's almost like two, you know, three-dimensional, you know, where you've got that background lit different to the, the foreground. So there's a lot of that involved. So there was never a case of me just going into a scene and just making it all the same. I always worked on differential. I mean, your tool of choice level. here is a new coder box, right? That's right, yeah. You've, how long have you been on new coder? Uh, well, we we I was we had I was on the on the the, the uh, Pogles for years and years and years, and then we just switched. And we bought three new coders. Uh, I think it was about five years ago, four years ago, five years ago. Um, and uh, that's it, really. I mean, it's over here in, in Britain anyway. Most it's either Baselight and new coder. At the time, I did look at Baselight, um, but at the time. It seemed that most feature films were sort of going down that road. You know what I mean? It's because my schedule is so manic. Because you know I'm fitting in jobs all the time, and I just sort of I'm not happy when I'm not working. So we generally they keep me working. I'm always I'm always busy. So, but in order to keep that, you know, so when I'm doing say a six part series, um, I'll be sort of finishing off. You know, I'll be on everything staggered. So I'll be on episode four of another series or episode yep. one of a new. You know, so everything I might have four or five dramas going at one time. But what happens with that is that I have, even though on one day I might be working on one drama, but generally because I, on the, one of the other dramas might have effect shots that need to be graded or something might need to be retouched up or blah, blah, blah. So basically my point is I'm constantly toing and froing, calling up all the pro, you know, projects. And that's where the new code, I think, is amazing because it, it just quite quickly and you know, my working day can be... Um, just, I can, you know, I can get the amount of... Because obviously, if I hadn't got a system that worked as well as that, I couldn't do all those things that you know and take on those those jobs that that I'm doing. You know, so it's it's sort of it's you know. I mean, I'm not I'm not I don't know the base like good enough or well enough to sort of comment on it. I, obviously, it's a very good system, and and um, but I'm just very happy with the new code. They're very good to me. They're very they constantly update software and you know revisions and all that. Um, but it's uh you know, it's 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 very stable. You know, it's 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 great. And at the but farm, again, I'm not I'm not I'm not a. If you gave me a baseline tomorrow, I gave you. I'm not that type of grader. I I'd be sort of, I'm happy. Once it works, I'm sort of the the, the equipment for me is not. You know, I say that now. Take it away from me, and I'll probably go. Oh, I need to, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I've always come in from the point of view, as I said earlier, that. It's 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 not about the equipment. It's about the person. It's about the pair of eyes behind it, and it's about the the imagination. And it's about you know what I mean. And it's because essentially all those pieces of kit can do the same thing. It's just that some might take longer, some might take you know, some might crash more, some might not crash more. Um, you know, you might have to do four key steps to get from A to B on one machine and not on the other. But essentially, 
it's the it's the individual behind it who's who's making the difference, you know. So. And I was about to mention that you, you you're actually a team of colorists at the farm, right? Like there's like four or five of you, is there? I've got uh, one, two, three, three other guys. Yeah, four right. of us. Yeah. Well, look, congratulations on being recognised by yeah. your peers and congratulations on just an amazing body of work. I've got to tell you, it's been great fun talking to you. I could keep talking all night, but I, I won't keep you. But thank you so much for, <laughs> for your time. You've been very generous. Well, thanks to Mike and Aidan for that interview. Are you an FX Insider? FX Insider is our special membership program that gives members access to more in-depth and members-only content. Details can be found at fxguide.com. Click the FX Insider tab. You've been listening to the FX Podcast. In addition to this podcast, we do two other regular audio podcasts. The VFX Show reviews visual effects and current releases, as well as classic films. The RC Podcast covers the ever-changing landscape of digital cinematography. We'd also recommend our weekly high-definition video podcast, FX Guide TV. You can find all of these, along with in-depth articles, news, and more at fxguide.com. Also, check out our extensive online visual effects training site, fxphd.com. For my partners, Mike Seymour and John Montgomery, this is Jeff Huser. We'll see you on the next FX Podcast. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.